you start talking about the war and then you're just getting a lot of midnight wake-ups, right? For inexplicable reasons. You know you've gone too far. That's actually our measuring stick. Like around the house, we're like, all right, you want to talk to him about that? Go ahead. But uh, if there's some wailing tonight, then you're going to get up and go deal with it, not me. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. A very somber episode of Medical Dads, which I will not start off by singing war. What is it good for? That seems like the <laughs> low-hanging fruit here. <laughs> is that a song? I didn't even know that was a real song. I've seen that quote bandied about in various places, but I did not actually know where it came from. Oh, it's from a song. Like a, I think from the 60s Vietnam area. War! Ha! What is it good for? Da, da. Uh, Absolutely Okay, yeah, nothing. you're right. Yeah, well. <laughs> you just said you weren't going to sing it, and now we just ate the low-hanging fruit. You tricked me. You tricked me into it, Shu. It is quite tasty. The low-hanging fruit can be tasty at times. So, I mean, in case people haven't figured it out, we're going to talk a little bit about all the current events that have been going on lately, specifically the war in the Ukraine, and how to deal with it as parents you know, parents of young children, and how to even deal with it ourselves as adults, you know, Westerners, watching this thing unfold. And it, and it leads to a larger discussion of war in general uh, and how we relate these things to our kids. Yeah. So, you know, a little story, like, it's, today is like, what? Today is like March the 4th. The war's been going on for a little bit over a week, mm-hmm. and we're sitting here in the West and, you know, fairly insulated from this thing in a direct way, hmm. right? For most of us, like I th- this is one of these wars where the West hasn't gotten too directly involved. We're sending a lot of arms and, and money, you know, to fund more fighting yeah. for people, but we're not actually sending our own troops, right? And so it's one of these wars that we're watching on TV, but we're really like spectators. And I can't help but think about the disconnect between what we're going through on a day-to-day basis and what the actual world is, you know, riveted by on a day-to-day basis right now. Like my son, he's in SK. He has to do a presentation today. It's like his first presentation. Like it's his turn to do the all about me presentation, right? For his class. So he, he drew this little, he drew this little sheet. It's got like, you know, my favorite food is this. I like to do these things. You know, I've read this book. And then he drew a little picture of himself. So then, you know, we're supposed to practice with him doing this presentation. And his mom is like telling him, you know, don't just read the sheet. You know, you need to elaborate. So if it says like my favorite uh, character is Mickey Mouse, then you can throw in an added comment about, you know, I like Mickey Mouse because I'm a big fan of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or something. Okay. Right. So, you know, she was working with him on it and she kept telling him about elaborating. Right. So he comes downstairs this morning. He's a little nervous. He's got this presentation looming over his head. And he comes up to me, he's like, Daddy, why do I have to elaborate? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, elaboration is very important, okay? Haven't you listened to the podcast? Like, we're always elaborating on stuff. 
He's like, but none of the other kids elaborated, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm, it's true. It's SK. I'm sure all the other kids are not elaborating. And even him, like when we asked him to demo the presentation, yeah. it quickly veers into him turning, staring at the words and reading it faster and faster and faster. He's like the Usain Bolt <laughs> of reading reading text, right? <laughs> right? While, while fidgeting. So he's reading the text while fidgeting with something in his pocket or on the side of the board. None of this is in the rubric, right? There's no <laughs> points for... Uh, reading it fast or how well you can simultaneously fidget that doesn't give you a, a level three plus on this i think in sk the rubric is you just got to stand up and do something right just show up yeah. put in some time right not unlike medical school just show up and put in some time but you know we're, we want to i want him to be able to host the podcast someday and stuff right <laughs> so like having some public speaking skills would be good so we're telling him about this and i'm having this conversation with him about elaboration why it's important and it just dawns on me how this whole thing is absurd you know there are people in the world dying and you know i'm watching on tv where you know children are hiding in bunkers yeah. and there's the threat of missiles at any moment and then like last night you know that now a now a nuclear power plant is on fire, yeah. right? Meanwhile, we're talking about the importance of elaboration, <laughs> right? And why that could be important to your future. Like it, it's just this wacky disconnect mm. that we're dealing with as parents. And I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems like when you, when you compare what's going on in the world to what we stress about on a regular basis as Westerners, yeah. none of this makes any sense. The whole thing is just completely lunacy. I've felt the exact same way over the past week. Uh, many instances of just... We're complaining. Oh, we wanted to get uh, Thai food. We had it planned. We're gonna get Thai food this Friday, but the 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 food truck that we usually like to order from, they're still closed. They haven't opened up yet after the winter. Ah, oh, this is a this is a tragedy. It's like, well, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't use the word tragedy so uh, so flippantly here. Uh, you know, just a lot of these feelings of yeah, this is annoying today, but. You know, somewhere out there, there are people who have just had to flee from their home, have no idea where they're going, just with their stuff in a suitcase. Right, right. And and not to say that we're completely disconnected from it, right? Because in the background, in the background of this whole conflict, there is this the risk that at some point, you know, some party, some interested party may hit the red button and just blow the human race into oblivion, right? That threat is looming over us once again. This is not a thing that I thought about much the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. But it is a thing that I thought about a lot as I was growing up because I was like, you know, we've touched on this before, but we grew up in the, in the toward the tail end of the nuclear age, of the Cold War, yes. right? You, you turn on the news at night, you know, and they would do a count. They'd be like, Soviets have how many warheads, nuclear warheads? The Americans have how many nuclear warheads? And you know how bad the nuclear warhead in World War II was? Well, this one, each one is 10,000 times more powerful, right? And so I'm growing up with this thing hanging over me, right? Thinking we're never going to live past age 15 or 20, right? And then eventually that thing went away, that, that fear went away. Mm. And all of a sudden it's kind of back in a way that's actually much more close to happening than at any point in our childhood, it would seem. The movie Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, has never been so relevant as it is right now. <laughs> I don't know. Rocky 4, man, is the most relevant movie of the day, I think. I know. I mean, Superman actually went on a mission to personally round up all the nuclear missiles on Earth and throw them into the sun. Well, as Rocky said, if they can change and I can change, we all can change. <laughs> <laughs> if only the world was so easy. I mean, we're, we're in a very weird space right now with how we feel as a nation we should be intervening for something like this because on the one hand we're 
are all cognizant of how terrible war is and how horrendous war would be and how horrific it would be. Uh, on some level, mm -hmm. we feel like Putin may not get it, but we don't want to escalate this into a bigger world war. Uh, but at the same mm -hmm. time, there's this other feeling of, is this, this, is this the next... Um, Hitler in formation, right? Because that's what Hitler had done. He had he had done some stuff, and then the countries around that could have intervened were like, well, you know, we don't want to get into a war over this thing. Let's just watch and see. And then, you know, he takes over another place, and they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, he shouldn't do that, but, uh, you know, we'll still keep mm -hmm. diplomatic relations. Maybe we can talk this peacefully. We'll hold the Olympics, uh, you know, in his backyard. Um, and then now history does look back and often say, the rest of the world should have intervened sooner before Hitler got so powerful. And uh, I think there's a lot of talk about, is that where we're at with Putin? There is. I mean, if you boil it down, I mean, this is a parenting show. We always try to look at things from the vantage point of parents and kids. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this stuff is just basic school ground, you know, schoolyard politics at play, right? <laughs> like there's a bully, right? They, they nudge you at every recess a little bit, right? If you don't do anything about it, they come and nudge you again, or you know, they start to shove you a little bit, right? They they take your lunch money, right? They eat part of your lunch. Yeah. They ask for your homework, right? If you don't do anything about it, now they go and bother another kid and another kid. Like, at some point, you know, you have to try to put a stop to it. And and this bullying issue is fundamentally not easy to solve. Like most teachers, and kids will tell you, it can be such a pain in the butt when it starts to happen. It's sort of the same thing, the same psychologies at work, but on a much more macroscopic scale with the possible end of humanity tied to the thing. I mean, could you imagine if schoolyard bullies actually tried to solve their issues the way we're trying to solve this type of an issue? So you've got a, <laughs> you've got a guy who has the potential to be a bully. He's big and he's strong, but he's generally not a bully. Uh, and there's another guy who's also big and strong who is a bully. And that guy's like, well, he's not bullying me. So I'm not, uh, I'll leave him alone. He'll leave me alone. But then now that, that is how that's that happens all the time in the schoolyard. That's a very common schoolyard scenario. But then then there's the next piece. So that bully who who you know he's not going to mess with me because I'm pretty strong. Now he's picking on some other little guys who I'm not really directly related to or friends with or dependent on as such. I mean I know the guy. Right. I may not even like him. They may not even like me. That's it. Right. But they're getting bullied. Right. That's that that can sometimes happen. And so in the schoolyard, is that what we actually telling people to do? So what do we want our kids to do in that situation? Our kid is the kid who's big enough that he's not getting bullied. The bully is picking on another kid. Uh, are we telling him go and fight that bully? You know, is that what's hap Is that what we want in the schoolyard? Open warfare or? Now that bully gets a few other bully friends and then your, your, your child gets a few big friends and now there's a big fight on the playground. Well, there is no good solution. There is no good solution, but, but maybe we should think about it from the kid that's being, the vantage point of the kid that's being bullied, yeah. right? What are we telling that kid to do, right? Do we tell him to fight? You know, you're going to get pummeled, that's right? You might, you might get killed. We might have to move to a different school district if you keep fighting, right. right? So what do we tell him? But at the same time, you don't want to tell him, well... Just leave it be. Just let it slide. Turn the other cheek. And, and that actually, you know, I sometimes think of myself as a pacifist and that we should just do what Jesus told us to do yeah. and, you know, offer the other cheek, right? Maybe the bully will get tired of slapping cheeks so fast because his hands are hurt yeah. and he'll move on. But I don't know. I don't know if that really happens in real life. And then on the playground, uh, to take that scenario further, are we suggesting that our kids should fight this with sanctions? <laughs> this bully keeps picking on <laughs> Melvin. Uh, so, you know, all these other kids are going to say, oh, we're not giving you any good trades at lunch anymore. 
<laughs> we're not uh, we're not letting you play uh, baseball with us anymore. Well, the, the sanctions is a new thing that I've I've never really seen deployed in like a major you know conflict, the way it's being deployed really rapidly here, right? Which is a new thing. It's like a it's like a new you know financial gambit in, that's been added into the theater of war, yeah. right? We can try to break the bully at their kneecaps by taking their money, <laughs> and that's a new one. That's right. So everybody is like, no one is giving that bully lunch money anymore, and he'll starve. (laughs) Yeah, it'll take time, but eventually he'll get hungry, right? Anyways, that's the analogy. If you did not follow the news, you've been living on a rock, and you wanted to really have a grade three breakdown of what's happening in the world, there you have it. That's the medical dad's breakdown of the world this week. That's right. That's right. I, I mean, I hope it goes without saying for people that what's happening in the world right now is that the big country, Russia, is invading the, their neighbor, the Ukraine, with very little pretense for a, a good reason why they would be doing that. Right? Great. You know, if we don't edit out that sentence, we're never going to be able to travel to Russia again in our life. You realize that. <laughs> oh, but you haven't even got me started on uh, how we could stop all of this. Right? If, if all the nations of the world were on the same page, we could stop this. I mean, Russia's big, but Russia can't stand up to the entirety of the United Nations. Um, so who's missing? Because it seems like most people are on board. But what major country with lots of people and, and clout is not coming out and firmly saying, yes, we should all agree to stop India. Russia? India did not come out and use their clout yet. But they haven't. Oh, dear. India, pull up your socks. And them being the the most populous and powerful nation in the world right now, right? That's populous, almost the most populous. So between India and China, the two of them combined, the two most populous countries in the world are not saying anything much about it, right? But but it's to be understood. They have been historically friends with Russia. Yeah, well, actually, I'm not, I was joking about India. Is India actually on side with, with Russia in this kind of conflict? Yeah, yeah, they have been. Okay. Like, I think they, abs- I mean, we're oversimplifying, but... Right. But they were one of the countries that abstained from one of those key votes okay. in the UN Security Council. Yeah, I mean, without getting into too much detail, that's going to have you know foreign bots invading our computers. <laughs> These other big countries are, are not in dissimilar situations to Russia, where they also have small nations next to them that they feel that they own and you know would potentially want to exert power over. So they might be watching mm-hmm. what happens with Russia to see yeah, you know if, if Russia can get away with it, maybe we can. But truly, if on the playground, every student but the bully agreed that bullying was wrong and wanted to step in, then yeah, the bully would, would fold really fast. If we talk about this a little bit more, like we are specifically talking about male gender playground dynamics, which is ultimately <laughs> what is playing out in, in Russia and Ukraine right now, yes. right? It's a bunch of dudes trying to solve problems the only way dudes know how. Right. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just turn on a hockey game and you'll see. Right. right. It's he who punches first wins. Right. He who gets a bloody nose first loses. That's basic guy, you know, state of mind in the world. Right. And it does make you wonder what would the world be a lot better place if our moms were in charge of everything. Right. That, That to me seems like that would fundamentally solve most of the problems. Like anything from this crisis to Bill Cosby could be solved if women ran the world. I mean, I think if my mom in particular was running things, yeah, this would be this this conflict would be over pretty fast. Right, right. But if we're if we're extending this to saying that, yeah, what about the analogy of of stereotypically female bullying? Uh, that would probably be more comparable <laughs> not to uh, to military warfare, but to uh, economic war. <laughs> you know, 
It's like, yeah, we don't need to. We're we're not going to become the next superpower by sending in jets and and blowing up your country. We're just going to not trade with you. And we'll trade with all the other nations that we like. And when they see that we're not trading with you, they won't trade with you either. And then you'll you'll have no economic power and you'll fade away. And and it would be a lot less harrowing of an experience for everyone. We wouldn't be talking about the nuclear bomb being deployed. We would just be talking about a lot of countries not speaking to one another, right? I could take that trade. I'll take that any day of the week. For comparing the different types of bullying, it's certainly there'd be less physical pain, but potentially an equal amount of suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a true married man. (laughs) (laughs) More just thinking of uh, uh, acknowledging that uh, girl bullying is a serious issue. It's very serious. It's in many ways a lot worse. You know, we were just talking about how there's no good solution for male bullying, right? Yeah. Or guys on the playground. The female version of it is a lot more insidious historically, right? You yeah. don't even see that it's happening. And eventually, you know, the consequences can be just as severe, right? Well, when you hear about stories of, uh, of girls who've killed themselves and you realize the bullying that they were involved in, it's rarely that they were getting physically picked on by, by bigger boys, but yeah, often it's this sort of emotional bullying that uh, brought them to the end of their rope. So, mm-hmm. so all bullying is bad. This is Medical Dad's official stance. Uh, but nonetheless, perhaps women running the nations uh, would lead to less physical destruction. I would say so. I would say so. So when it comes to war, like if we take a step back, I think you and I have touched on this in the past, but we both come from families that, you know, not, not, neither of us are soldiers now, yeah. right? And our children... Hopefully, you know, they're, they're, we, don't, we don't foresee them going into, into the military. But it wasn't too long ago in our families, you know, you go back a couple of generations where, you know, our ancestors or we're all soldiers, right? This is yeah. a common field of work, you know? And so my, I think you've mentioned that your grandfather was in the Navy. That's right. Both of my grandfathers were soldiers in Asia, right? Yeah. In the 40s and 50s kind of thing. Yeah. So as weird as it is, as weird as it is to say, you know, I come from a family of military, a military background, right? <laughs> You're ready to fight. You've got it in your genes. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. So it, it always makes me wonder, like when we think about our own children and, you know, what we want for them growing up, what is our take on war and becoming a soldier and dedicating your life to potentially fight for your country? Like, is that something that we still hold patriotically to or is in 2021 as a parent you know in the west where we really are like thank goodness someone else is taking that responsibility for us yeah well i certainly this wonderful world we have country we have all that kind of stuff if we're not ultimately willing to defend it then then we we may not have it for all those future generations Um, right so i think war is horrible and i really try to impress upon my kids how it is the absolute uh, last resort. When I, when I talking about my grandfather, my granddad, uh, I think I mentioned on the podcast before that we had gone to visit him in England a few years ago uh, mm-hmm. when he was uh, 93, coming up 94. And uh, we knew that he may not have much longer to live. So we got in there and had a good visit with him when he still had all his faculties. And then he actually did pass away within the year. But when I was there, when I was there, I, uh, I had this sort of idea that, you know, I want to record him saying a few things. I want to have this chance to ask him some of these questions that I may not get to ask him later. Uh, so mm. one of the things is that I did talk about was, you know, so you were in World War II. What, what's your take on that? What's your memory of that? 
And I remember he had said before how because he was in the Navy, you're on a ship. So in that sense, uh, it's kind of like this grand adventure, not a good time, but, uh, you know, an adventure. And uh, if you're hit, if your ship gets hit, it's just done. You're done. You're dead. Right. So you're either in relative, um, uh, not luxury, but, you know, you're relatively okay on your ship or you're dead. There's not like that in between when you're a soldier on the ground suffering in the pits and all that uh, and, and the, the trenches and all mm. that kind of stuff. So I, I always remembered that. But then when I was asking him this, you know, what, what's your take? What, you know, what are the last things you wanted to be able to say on this? He was saying, because I, I said to him, I remember you had told me this about how there was sort of an adventure aspect to it. He's saying, yeah, well, you know, when we'd come into dock, you'd see the, the actual soldiers who were on the ground, you know, coming, coming aboard and that type of thing. And we'd transport them sometimes. And he's saying, you know, those, those wretches, he's saying that that was horrible. Uh, he's saying it was horrible, and you'd see the guys from both sides, uh, and they, all, they it just was miserable. And his thing was like, he was almost tearing up saying how uh, you know, this thing was horrible, and our, my take-home from this is that you know we really did it thinking that this should be the last that anybody ever has to do this, that we're doing this so, uh, so we're thinking that our, our, our descendants will never have to do this. And, the, and, and that's what we should be always remembering, that we never want to ever have to see anything like that because it was absolutely horrible and horrendous, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because when we talk about Remembrance Day now, sometimes there's a tendency to use it more of an opportunity to sort of glorify soldiers and, uh, and, talk, up, and, and talk about how proud we are of how we fought at Vimy Ridge and these type of things. And not that mm-hmm. we shouldn't be honoring soldiers. I mean, we absolutely should be. But it, it, it should be with this idea of, you know, they made this horrendous, horrible sacrifice that we don't want it to be for nothing by like continuing into unnecessary cycles of war. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's, that's a Harmon insight onto war. I mean, I totally hear what you're saying because I think it's because we don't have the right language to talk about war, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we get to Remembrance Day, right? We want to honor the people who've survived. We, we don't actually want them to talk about dismembered body parts and all yeah. the gory details at that point, yeah. right? When we talk to our children about war, you know, we, we draw poppies, right? Maybe we draw a tombstone to signify death. Yeah. But in some ways, that is too clean of a picture of what war is right we don't really see how nasty it is like with the war in the ukraine even we see, we're watching it on primetime television right or yeah. you see some carefully curated you know instagram pictures or something from overseas and it's still not capturing the full nastiness none of us wants to see that it's like a horror film but true and a thousand times worse than anything hollywood can come up with yeah right and because we can't see it it becomes we are a little bit disconnected from it in a way, right? Yeah. We don't fully appreciate the severity of it. I mean, it's also because it's not happening in our backyard and whatnot, but just because of that, I think we lose sight of it. Like what you're saying, this concept that this thing is so bad that we should never have it happen again. Yeah. I think, I feel like as a society, people forget, right? And we get caught up in certain things and we feel like it's justifiable or it needs to be justified. It's, it's a difficult question. Absolutely. And for us not living in Europe, we don't have the same appreciation for that concept of, of total war. You know, when mm. people use war terminology, they make a distinction between war, which is actually fought within some semblance of international rules of engagement uh, and is military against military. And then there's total war, you know, where now like, essentially all bets are off and every single member of the country is considered uh, on some level a resource or a combatant. 
right? Mm -hmm. So that idea of right now, even right now, Russia is ostensibly trying to say that they're hitting military targets, right? But uh, when we get to the point where, like, no, you're you're we're blowing up people's apartment buildings, you're just trying to to kill anybody who's who, who's opposing you, uh, where. Ukraine is saying to their citizens, you know, like each one of you be prepared to fight, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, every male, but like 16 and above, you're, you stay put because you're going to be fighting that type of total war. That is truly, truly uh, a, a type of horror that you don't appreciate when it's more of uh, like, you know, we just had a cool TV commercial for joining the, the U.S. Navy. And, uh, you know, the, the commercial makes it look like you're this like, superhero. And yeah, those guys are out there fighting for us while I'm at home, you know, playing Xbox. <laughs> right. And complaining about paying taxes or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this war, I think one of the most riveting stories, especially from the early days of the war, is this idea that they were conscripting any any person, right? Anyone who wants to participate in the war of effort, you can line up at the local street corner and they're going to hand you, you know, an, an automatic weapon or a rifle or something, right? Yeah. I'm looking, I'm watching this happening, and it wasn't just men, but mostly men, yeah. And but people our age, and I'm thinking, of course, how can I think about anything other than wow, if this was happening here, I would be, you know, called in to fight, right? I have to drop my kids off as they flee and my family. And then I'm, you and me, right? The medical dad's battalion is going to go fight. I don't know anything about fighting, right? <laughs> like, like people, like, I, I can only imagine if you hand a bunch of untrained people these weapons, like, yeah. what, what are they actually looking for these people to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is such a frightening prospect. Yeah, absolutely. We're not... We're not one of these countries where everybody does two years of military service uh, mandatory, you know, uh, before they're allowed to go out and do whatever else they're going to do in life. We are not brought up with that idea that we're all potentially going to have to be soldiers one day. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that's what I want for my children and my grandchildren is for them to never have to live a life with that kind of thought in mind, never mm -hmm. have to live a life where they're going to have to fight in that way. But uh, it does make us very uh, disconnected or not have a very wholesome view of what it's like for these people in those countries, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's It becomes impossible to relate to for us, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't know how to process it. Part of me is like, if this actually happened, would I just, you know, put my head down, walk into the line and get my gun, do what I'm told? Or, you know, am I trying to get out of it? Am I trying to sneak out of the country? Like, is that wrong to do? Should I do everything the country asked me to do? There's a part of me that feels like war is absurd, right? And I think that's one of the things my parents, my dad tried to impart on me, you know, because yeah. he had done military training. He grew up under, you know, the Cold War in Taiwan. Yeah. And the China versus Taiwan thing was brewing for decades. So at some point, his lesson to me was, this is just politics, right? Yeah. You know, it's not worth losing your life over, right? Yeah. And and but the countries, in, especially growing up in those days in Taiwan, the country's always trying to impress upon you on how important it is for us to be a nation, and we got to stand up to the enemy, right? Yeah. No matter what it takes. So if we call on you, you gotta be proud to serve, and you'll be treated as a hero. Yeah. When in hindsight, you're never really treated as a hero. You're just forgotten. You're just a pawn <laughs> of of the big of the of the man, right? Yeah. And that's sort of what's happening here, right? Regular people are getting sucked into this political thing that at some level you know most of us are just regular people and we're getting manipulated by this thing it's very frustrating right to watch and to feel yeah. so powerless but thinking about it for myself i'm like i don't know what i would do like i i feel like it would be wrong to fight but at the same time doing nothing 
and and you know i told my wife i could i could just try to play dead you know just lie there not move like the classic play dead and maybe no one will see me trick yeah but i don't know if that would work (laughs) i've I've wondered about this before this idea that so when you go back through history there have always been people who their their mindset their 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 genetic code is such that yeah, they are the uh, alphas who will go out and fight in, in these type of wars. There's the people who will join the army voluntarily and want to go out and, and fight. Um, right. And with these wars, especially if the things have got, of wars have become like bigger and the uh, uh, casualty count becomes higher because of modern warfare being that much more like uh, catastrophic to people, uh, you would think that if there is any genetic component to what decides if you're going to be one of these type of uh, <laughs> uh, fighters, right, that those people uh, would be slowly, you know, that's not to your evolutionary advantage, I suppose, to be one of those people. So uh, the people who are left in the world at any given time are those who survived wars one way or another. Right? Well, that makes sense. That makes sense to your genetic thing because the people who are the most alpha and the most violent ultimately are the ones that win the war and they survive and pass this on. It's the ones who lose, who don't really want to be there. They're the ones who who get weeded out. So this just keeps perpetuating. Uh, but truly in wars, it's not the person who's the most, at least in modern warfare, it's not the person who's the most uh, aggressive on the battlefield who <laughs> truly is the survivor at the end. Right? It's usually the person in the office, right? the general at the back, the uh, the the politician, it, they're the ones who, whether you're on the winning side or the losing side, uh, you have a chance of surviving. Mm. Um, so they are the real winner. If you're a soldier and you're a good soldier, you still have a good chance of dying. But if you're a, a leader uh, who directs the soldiers and your side wins, then you definitely are the one who reaps <laughs> the most benefit. A- absolutely. And, and as we know, in most wars, you know, there's a hierarchy of our society, right? Like in Vietnam, it was the poorest people in society for the most part who are the ones on the front line, right? They're the ones getting yeah. drafted and they can't make an excuse to get out of it. It's yeah. like the the children of the wealthy families, you know, they can get themselves placed in a cushier job. They don't have to go, right? It's yeah. always it's always like that. And the people, the elites who rule these countries, obviously they still have their own interests, right? They're not the ones going out there. It yeah. makes you always... It makes me always respect, like in the olden days, when the leaders were the ones who'd get up, get on the horse, and lead the charge in the battle. That's the way it was supposed to be. Yeah, that is not the way it is anymore. And so I guess guess my point was, yeah, from an evolutionary point of view, is it actually now that if you just looked at the population that's on Earth now, uh, are there just fewer people who would be the type to want to go out and fight than there was uh, 300 years ago or, or 500 years ago? Can't say, can't say. There's no study about that. I can say that if we were talking about what our genetic predisposition would be, predisposition would be, I would be, you know, in the old Muppets show, the two crabby guys sitting (laughs) in the top balcony watching and making comments. That's my role, right? Genetically in war. Like I have a lot of comments, but I I don't think I could do anything actually on the stage. Uh, Certainly if invaders were coming into Canada and this is a matter of, you know, You've got to defend the village because there is no running away or escaping to anywhere. It's you, know, it's fight or 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 die. Then yeah, I would see myself fighting with that idea that I, what I'm fighting for is that the chance that my children and uh, that my wife can survive. Okay, but um, let's let's put it this way though: if if you were being if we were in Canada and was being invaded, yeah, and all you had to do is just put down your arms, right? 
and accept the regime change. Like they're going to bring in someone else to rule the country and you can live on the fight another day. Isn't that an alternative? Like why do we have to insist on sacrificing all our children, right? Send them all in with these muskets, right? Okay. While the other guy's got a nuclear bomb. Like this doesn't make any sense. It's like you're throwing your life away. Like, if we look at our children's lives and our lives and how much energy and time we put into, you know, trying to optimize stuff, shouldn't yeah. we just live to fight another day? Isn't that a better option than like sacrifice? Well, it will be very situation specific, but if you're talking about like living under the rule of somebody like Putin or living under the rule of a Hitler, then it, you're fooling yourself if you sort of think that like, yeah, no, 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 I'll, the, I'll, I'll give up, but then this will be what's like good for, for me and for my children. You know, like, like that whole idea of dying free on your feet versus, you know, like living as a, living as a, a slave or less than a slave. If, if, you know, someone like Hitler, you could lay down your arms. You don't exactly look like the Aryan ideal, Dr. Shu. So where you would end up in a, in a Hitler regime, I don't know. Uh, but if I look at it more from the point of view of what if I was in the Ukraine right now, if I was a Ukrainian, what would I do? And if you're just looking at what is the best for your family, uh, you'd be thinking Canada is offering the opportunity to come and, and start a whole new life as a Canadian in a country that, uh, in my opinion, uh, you'd already be better off than living in the Ukraine, even if the war did end tomorrow, because you're right. still living next to Russia with this constant threat of what's going to happen and that type of thing. Uh, and so for me, I, I would be, you know, as much as I love my culture and all that other stuff, uh, better that my kids have a start in a country that's prosperous and they can get a new culture there, but they'll be alive and doing well. Uh, I, I, to me, that seems like that would be the play to make. Well, but, uh, you and I are all children of immigrant families, right? right? To some degree. So this idea of fluidly moving around the world makes sense to us, right? Like my parents did that. They, they weren't directly, you know, being, you know, at the threat of war at the time they left, but they had yeah. grown up in this warlike environment, right? With all this, with, with the menace of war hanging over their heads for their entire childhood. And they were like, you know, I want, they wanted to move to North America, land of opportunity, land of starting over. I, I, I think for a lot of people would look at a, the, if you had the potential to flee to another place with relative safety, that would seem to be the obvious play, right? Yeah. But short of that, you know, I feel like, maybe just maybe just not fighting back see what happens play out the longer hand that's another option rather than going and guns blazing right and this thing's over in the next week i don't know about that option so much i, I mean i don't like war right and i yeah i don't think most of us do like it and i feel like the idea of throwing our lives away for the sake of these political aims sometimes is just not worth it yeah i think i'm starting to really see your point of view here it's not that we're saying that uh our approach to being bullied is to just lay down and take it because maybe the bully will be merciful to us. Uh, but that bigger idea that, um, you know, with the propaganda and stuff, you'd say, I think, yeah, no, I'm uh, with a war. I'm fighting because this is the right, just, this is what needs to be done. But because so many wars are truly just political, really at the end of the day, mm -hmm. um, uh, my sort of tying on what you're saying, my thought about war really is one of those things where, in Canada, we do have people who uh, are very brave and who agree to be soldiers. Um, and those people deserve an insane amount of respect from us. But it's our job as a society to make sure that those people who are willing to make that sacrifice, um, that we're making sure that they only make that sacrifice when necessary. Because mm -hmm. a soldier, a good soldier, will go wherever we tell them to go and do what we tell them to do. 
You right. can't have an army with people who are going to say, uh, I think this is a little political. I'm not going to fight. Which is the problem in 2022 now, right? Because we've had this track record of a few decades of these wars of dubious necessity, right? And yeah. and everyone can read the newspapers and see, you know, we read all the people talking about Afghanistan, about Iraq, right? About the weapons of mass destruction that were never found, right? So there's this growing cynicism, like how much of this is really necessary, right? right? And of course, if someone is, you know, stepping on your backyard you know or you know doing stuff to in your house you got to do something about it yeah but how much of that is really true and and if is it worth dying for that principle yeah. right that that yeah. i think is part of the question absolutely yeah that's that's my point as well that the, the politicians who are supposed to be representatives of us uh it's incumbent on us to make sure that truly if we are going to war, whether it's total war or even sending our soldiers, we have to truly make sure that we believe that that is the, that we are truly at that last resort, that that is actually mm. justified. And yeah, it maybe is not ha in historically been as justified as, uh, uh, as people have thought who are involved in these conflicts. Let's, let's talk a little bit about parenting. What, mm. have you talked about the war with your kids? And if so, how did that go? Yeah, a little bit. Talked about a little bit to, to say that Right now, there's these two countries, Russia and Ukraine, and uh, you know, here in, in, in Canada, we do not understand why, uh, but the leader of Russia wants to go in and uh, uh, take over Ukraine. And mm -hmm. to do that, he's sending in troops and uh, you know, people are going to fight, and some people are going to get killed, and a lot of people in the country have to leave. And so the other countries around them and Canada as well are offering to help and provide a place where people can come to. So they uh, they know that much uh, and they hear about it a little bit in the radio when we're driving. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think there is a few things that we can talk about, about how we um, how we approach this with our kids. Well, it's not super straightforward. I think every kid is different, mm -hmm. right? They're all at different ages and at different levels of understanding. But because this news is, you know, as adults now, we're walking around with our cell phones or our computers on and, oh, look, it's a New York Times front cover. You know, there's a there's a there's a missile that has hit a building and I'm looking at a picture of rubble. And then my five-year-old walks up to me and is like, Hey, what's that? What's that? That looks interesting. Right? Like, yeah. how do you explain this to them? Right? I mean, it's very, very difficult. And how do you explain this to them in a way that they can understand the important part of it to a level that they're capable of understanding without completely freaking them out? Yeah. Well, to borrow some of the points from the UNICEF website, because we were talking earlier about how there's different articles on how to do this, and UNICEF actually has a has a sort of eight things or eight tips for talking to your kids about war and conflict, and that that was one of them. The first point was to first find out what they know and how they feel because they're getting exposed to all these things, including I could say from my own kids' experience. They talk to other kids in the playground who's some of these kids, their parents are taking a very different approach to what they tell the kids. Some of these kids, <laughs> their parents have vested interests or connections to one or, or the other country involved. And so they hear all kinds of, you know, strange things or, or weird interpretations of what's going on. So that is yep, the just, first like <laughs> That's right, just like COVID. That's just like COVID, which, uh, you know, there's a bit of a sidetrack, but t tying in COVID to what's going on right now, right? Uh, uh, there's a, a quote uh, that Hitler had said, uh, where Hitler had said, I do not see why man should not be as cruel as nature, <laughs> which uh, it just seems to me that I wonder if Putin was uh, looking at the whole COVID crisis and seeing all the problems it caused and said to himself, you know what? Yeah, nature's doing that with COVID. Uh, so why should I do any less? 
<laughs> COVID killed a bunch of people. Why can't I? I wonder if he took a page from Hitler's book with that quote. <laughs> I don't even know how much of this is arable. All right. <laughs> <laughs> are we are we afraid to 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 uh, to speak out against Putin in this situation? I I don't know. I don't know how much we want to prod the bear, but okay. Well, let's I mean, put it this way. If Putin's listening to this podcast and would like to come <laughs> on the show and give his point of view, we would welcome him. Cause we absolutely. Are, we would... As a, this, this is a virtual podcast. As long as we're not in the same room with him, I'm happy to host him on Zoom. I'll give him my Zoom ID. Yeah. Oh, he's, I'm pretty sure he already has it. <laughs> At any rate... Yeah, that idea of finding out what the children have heard and what they know, uh, is similar to COVID, right? Uh, give them a chance to explore their, uh, uh, or take a chance to explore what they've already heard and what they're already thinking and, and maybe even what they're already worrying about. Mm-hmm. I do think you, I don't think, I do think we shouldn't sugarcoat things for our kids too much, right? I feel mm. like children understand more than we give them credit for most of the time. Yeah. And when you look at on TV and you see, you know, there are actually children near the front lines of this battle and and they're they're going to get through it they they might be worse for wear right but children are tougher than we sometimes give them credit for and i feel like sometimes when we, as parents we overly protect them and don't tell them about anything that's going on right yeah. that can be even worse right that that that's how a lot of this like you know the misinformation or the miseducation of children starts like we mean well we don't want them to feel scared but yeah. sometimes understanding something and then being able to live with uncertainty is a very important thing. It's not unlike the whole idea of like, you know, a child doesn't want to sleep in the dark, right? Because they're scared of the dark. So as a well-meaning parent, we just leave all the lights on or we sleep them next to us, right? For five, for 15 years, (laughs) right? But in the end, the only person who's getting more anxious and not having their anxieties resolved is the child who you had intended to help, but you're actually harming in the long run. So I think it's a little bit of that. Like we, we do need to tell them about the real world. The real world is a very complicated place. Yeah. There are crazy things happening, whether it's the environment, whether it's war, whether it's, you know, disease yeah. and that stuff's all lurking all over us. So as, as much as there are good parts to life, there are these harder parts to life, but we should actually try to sit down and explain it to them as best as we can. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair. It ties into one of the other points on the website though. Like, when you're having these discussions to, to keep it calm and age appropriate. <laughs> so there's like tip number two, because yeah, it, it, you don't have to sugarcoat it, but at the same time, uh, there's, I don't see the value for a, for a six year old to be going into all the details of how horrendous it is to, uh, to, that there are some kids in the world who may go to sleep tonight and then the, the apartment could explode uh, and they could look over and see that like only half of their parent is is is, is in the room next to you. It's like, like okay. Do you understand what that is like? Do yeah. you understand? <laughs> so yeah, I think it's fair to say to them that you know there are uh, that we're safe here. You know, I, I would maybe it's fair to say For right now. now we're safe here, but there are other kids who are not so lucky, um, and uh, you know, focusing on the, the the compassion side of it. Uh, is is a good idea, right? Focusing here's on an how. interesting here's an interesting question. Yeah, because you and I have small kids, and small kids generally defer to their parents, right? There's not a lot of arguing, right? They ask your opinion, they actually respect your opinion, right? Yeah. It's not as true when you get into like the high school, university age kid, right? Now that kid has their own ideas, right? Their friends yeah. don't believe in COVID, so they don't believe in COVID. They're gonna come home and tell you, "I'm going out without a mask." 
right? Yeah. Now, how do you sit down and talk to them about this stuff? And especially during COVID, there was a lot of this. And I'm sure when politics comes up, this kind of stuff always happens, right? One parent is on one side, the children's on the other side. We can't talk about it at the dinner table. That's a real yeah. thing in the world, too. Well, I think it's fine to uh, let your kids speak and, and, and try to hear what they're saying and not emotionally react. Because mm. uh, it's not that hard when your kid is start saying like, oh, yeah, no, this COVID is, it's not even real. <laughs> and then you, it's, you get an emotional <laughs> react to that. And then you want to like jump in and, you know, if you're having these discussions with a teenager, sometimes half of what's happening is that they're trying to get these emotional reactions or they're, they're exploring these emotional reactions. So, uh, uh, you know, no matter what they say, try to keep it calm, but then, yeah, you can give your point of view or give your explanation or your rationale. And just remember that, uh, when you're talking about something like war and, and this, we're, we're, the reason that we're trying to reach out to our children is largely because we want to protect them, right? protect the, mm -hmm. make sure that they're emotionally they're okay. Uh, so if they come out and they're saying all these crazy ideas and that type of thing, then uh, the, in that stage, they, it doesn't sound like they need your emotional protection. It's not like they're having a lot of <laughs> war anxiety that you need to no, protect you, them No, you need emotional protection at that point <laughs> yourself. Which is one of the other tips on the UNICEF uh, list of eight <laughs> tips is to uh, take care of yourself. Because right? you yourself, depending on how related you are to this war or whatever, uh, you may be having some serious anxiety and you got to take care of yourself. Absolutely. I won't go through each of the eight tips, but there was one part within that uh, first tip, within the finding out what they know, how they feel, they thought was uh, worth mentioning, which is to find a, a, a appropriate place and opportunity to naturally talk about these things and you said the dinner table and i think the dinner table is a good place for these type of discussions um and it ties into what we said on previous podcasts about how like meal time is a great time for families so it's a good to try to keep a regular meal time uh, and not bedtime <laughs> bedtime is not the time to explore <laughs> these things any parent with a you know a kid between five and, and twelve knows that bedtime is often the time when they find opportunities to stretch out bedtime a lot longer. <laughs> and, you know, asking them how they feel about the Ukraine and the war uh, will, one, stretch out bedtime a lot longer, and two, potentially not put them in the kind of calm, go-to-sleep state you want them to be at bedtime. Right, right. As a parent of young children, sleep is of paramount importance, right? Yeah. And I think you can use how well your child is sleeping as a barometer of how you're doing in terms of talking about the war, right? Like if you, you start talking about the war and then you're just getting a lot of midnight wake ups, right? <laughs> For inexplicable reasons, you know, you've gone too far. That's actually our measuring stick. Like around the house, we're like, all right, you want to talk to them about that? Go ahead. But uh, if there's some wailing tonight, then you're going to get up and go deal with it. Not me. <laughs> Speaking of, just the anxiety around war and what adults might be feeling. You touched a bit on how we grew up in that Cold air, cold War era, that mm. that uh, that common expression, well, Gorbachev's got his finger on the button. People used to say it a lot when I was in, in elementary school. Uh, well, this, this whole situation with Ukraine is a little different than World War II or some of the other things we've, other wars we've seen in the past because uh, we're dealing with a major nation that has atomic weapons and is making some gestures or, you know, some reckless statements about how uh, he'd be willing to use them if, uh, uh, if, if pressed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how, much, how much worry or anxiety does that give you personally? Quite a bit, man. Quite a bit. I try, I don't, try not to think about it too much, right? I feel yeah. like, but, you know... None of us knows what's going to happen next. So we all have to live with that uncertainty to some degree. 
But it is a yeah. scary place to be. It, the world is a lot scarier today than it was two weeks ago. I, I, I will say that. Yeah, it's, it's very true. I, I mean, I really hope that this situation can settle down or be nipped in the bud before things get too crazy. But uh, I'm reminded of, a, of an Albert Einstein quote. Um, so I gave a Hitler quote before. I'll uh, balance it with an Albert Einstein quote, who, remember, he was instrumental to the development of, uh, of the nuclear bomb. Like, well, insofar in as some of his scientific theories had assisted the development, but I don't think he was actively in the Manhattan Project himself. No, but no, I don't think so either. But yeah, but he, he I think, felt some level of responsibility for such a weapon existing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he said, I know not with what weapons World War III will be fought, but... World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones, uh, which I think is getting at the idea that yeah, something like a nuclear bomb, like that might be what ends World War Three, uh, and then all that's going to be left after all that kind of carnage will just be a primitive bunch of cave people. All right, let, let's let's try to leave on a slightly more positive note than that. All right, because <laughs> all right, I, so one thing I was thinking about as we've been talking about this and I, it has nothing to do with reality, but maybe it's a bit of a lighter note is, you know, in the, there was a, there used to be a short story. I don't know what the name of it is called, but they made a Star Trek episode out of it called arena. Right. And this is a very famous episode of Star Trek from the original series where the enterprise goes to this planet. And it basically in order to resolve a dispute, the leaders of these two groups have to meet and fight in like a Roman, you know, uh, Colosseum style battle, right? So, yeah. so the way of resolving conflicts was to take Captain Kirk and then this alien, and they got to fight each other, and the winner wins the battle on behalf of his country, right? So it's really yeah. like this idea where, like, instead of the leaders sitting at home in their posh, you know, environment, they're actually going to muck it up, and whoever's the stronger one wins, right? And yeah. I've always felt that in a in a society, if we can't achieve things diplomatically then this yeah. seems like a reasonable approach, you know, because these are the people who actually have skin in the game. They're the only ones that care about what's going on to some degree. So they might yeah. as well just like have a doubt, you know, put up your dukes, have a fair fight and let's see who wins. Like, and, and in that setting, you know, first of all, we shouldn't be electing 80 year olds to be the leaders <laughs> of the Western world. Right. But I feel like that would be a much cleaner alternative to this. But then as I thought about this more, right, uh, it tied me into this episode of Medical Dads that I think is a really fitting ending for this episode. You know, yeah. it's one of the favorite things you ever told on the show was the story that your dad told you about how if there's a group of people coming to fight you, right, yeah. what are you supposed to do is that if you know you're going to lose, just pick out one guy and go at that one guy as hard as you can, right? And, and to some degree, that's basically what's happening in the world yeah. right now, right? The Ukraine knows they're in trouble, but they're just going to go out guns blazing, right? Do, it, do as much damage as they can to what they can, right? Yeah. And, and I guess there's some valor in that, man. Like, I got Like, at the end of the day, as much as I'm a pacifist, I don't like war. I think this whole thing, is, you know, should not be happening. But if you're going to yeah. go out, go out guns blazing, right? And that's the way to, that's the way to do it. I like that. I like that. Uh, taking inspiration from Star Trek uh, or, you know, Optimus Prime and Megatron did the same thing in the Star <laughs> in the uh, Transformers movie. And then even historically, uh, if, if you could treat the Bible as a historical record, uh, David and Goliath, wasn't that the idea that they chose a representative for each army? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. In case that won't work, obviously, with Russia, because we know how those guys are with doping. But uh, <laughs> in another context, that would be an excellent way to end conflict. <laughs> All right. Well, 
Thanks for this. As fun a discussion as one can have about something as horrendous as war. Well, yeah. And you know what? We'll see where this goes and uh, maybe we'll chat about it again in a little while. All right. Have a good week, folks. Okay. Bye-bye.